Imoko Voli Corneliano and Saxa Kejijin Kozlesli are the CV Champions League Volley 2021 champions. Let the celebrations begin. The kings and queens of Europe have been crowned here in Verona. Well, it was indeed Paolo Iganu and Alexander Slivka who are the MVPs. Hello everyone and welcome to the Ace Space, the volleyball podcast brought to you by CEV. And today is a celebration episode, a celebration of our two new Champions League winners, a celebration of a great season and, well, it can only be a celebration if we have some great guests. Who better to celebrate with than Key Michael? Hello. Hello, it's a celebration. I had, had no idea. I, sh- I would have worn my party hat. <laughs> and the man in the know, the man who was actually on the floor in the room where it happened, Dan Manili. Hi. Hi, Dave. Back from the sunny, amazing Verona to the cold, cloudy Luxembourg. But glad to be on the podcast. <laughs> Had to rub it in, didn't you, that you're getting a bit of weather. Uh, Key, you're getting a bit of weather as well, aren't you? You're still in Florida. I know. You guys can see it if you're watching, but I'm totally burnt from the neck down. <laughs> I went down to Key West with my sister last weekend, and I, I'm regretting not putting sunscreen on, that's for sure. <sighs> the chance would be a fine thing. It has been a grey and miserable bank holiday <laughs> weekend here in London. Uh, but I had some great volleyball to watch. Let's... um. Do you know what? We're going to cut straight to it because I love catching up with you guys, but we've got a lot to get through today. Um, Dan, you were one of the very select few who were actually there. Tell me about it. Is it your first Champions League final in the flesh? Yes, first one. I mean, <sighs> joined the CV and then obviously last year's got cancelled. And unfortunately, again, this year we were not able to have many fans in the arena. I mean, given the quality of play of the, of the games, it would have been absolutely electric there. But still a lot of fun. I think uh, the, the TV experience from what we've heard is it was great. We put we did tried a few new things with these augmented reality graphics. We did a photo shoot with all the players to accommodate that. And uh, we also had a new website launch, uh, which was great to have as well. Uh, Facebook event. So we tried to cover the event as, as thoroughly as possible because fans weren't in the arena. And hopefully that translated to everyone listening. You were able to experience a little bit of the electricity of a live event. I'm going to spend a lot of time giving um, people in the CEV a pat on the back today, or people who've been involved throughout the season a, a pat on the back today. And I'm going to call a lot of them out by name. The first uh, person I'm going to give a shout out to is Clayton, who commentated on uh, on the uh, the Super Finals, both matches. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a couple of the semi-finals, as did James Fields and, and, and Clayton did the others. And it is a, a challenging and and interesting way of doing things and commentating because usually you're used to sort of rising and falling with the crowd and and you don't have any of that to fall back on so um, obviously the matches were incredible and sometimes the sporting theatre creates itself but he did a great job narrating through it narrating through that theatre so Clayton is my first shout out and Key we never really talk about your Champions League final experience because you batted off like it didn't happen because you're modest and shy. That's not true. We talk about it a lot. I feel like it comes up almost every conversation and uh, I love it. I love reliving these moments. Bring it on. Good. What, what do you got for me? Questions? Well, well, I just, I just want you to tell us sort of what your 
experience was like of being involved in a day like that because it is up there with the biggest days any player can have in volleyball so before we set the scene and talk through two epic matches just sort of take us back and and put us in the position of a player on the day oh man i'm on the spot right well i'll start by saying uh my setter for the match was ashavolash so that can tell you something right there just the fact that we had a pretty good team a pretty I, i mean we had high hopes going into it obviously our the final four itself it was a final four rather than just a super final so there was just getting there was an achievement for us but the fact that we then made it past to the actual final match there's just so many emotions i can't even how do you even start to describe it you you try and take the match as if it's just any other match but you know it's not just any other match so you have to have a heightened sense of urgency with every single point and I, I, yeah how however whichever way it swings whether you come out victorious or not at least you're walking away, away with a medal, which is a bonus. But if you could, see, I mean, you could see by the looks on people's faces after this match, there's, it's it's a consolation prize, and you go there with the intention of winning. Um, but only one team can. So, do you have fond memories of that day mm. or that weekend? Because of course, I you do. said it was the final have, fallback. Then. I have a mixture of emotions because for me, I, like I've mentioned many times before, I I didn't, I almost didn't feel like I deserved to be there. I didn't have. You know, I was no big name player, for example, and and I was nervous and I had a little bit of imposter syndrome. But at the same time, being on that kind of stage, same thing with the Olympics. You get there and you're there and you kind of soak up all the emotions. You look around at the crowd, which unfortunately these girls and guys didn't have this weekend. But there's just there's a there's something palpable in the air that you can't replace just any old match going forward. So, yeah, it was. Um, yeah, a lot of fun memories, but I, obviously I wish we had, had taken away the gold rather than the silver, but no regrets. <laughs> no regrets. You you mentioned Asha Volosh there. Wasn't Malene, didn't you play against Milena Rasic that yeah. weekend as yeah. well? Yeah. So however many years on, there are players who are who are still there, still battling for that for that same thing, those same special moments that nobody yeah. can take away from you. Amazing yeah. stuff. Um, my second shout out, and this is less of a of an individual, more of a group shout out, is just to go back over what Dan says. The fact that the CV have worked so hard to make it a special experience. Because if you've ever watched uh, super finals or or in the old days, as Keith said, a final four, you'll know that usually it's not just the supporters of the teams that come. It's volleyball fans just descend from all corners of Europe, all corners of the globe to to watch the best players in the world on the best stage. So the guys uh, over there in head office who made such a great effort to make the venue look and sound as normal as possible to create the environment for the players to thrive and make those memories and for the supporters whether you joined watching live on any of the broadcast outlets or watching online or got involved with any of the watch parties hopefully um, it felt special for you as as volleyball supporters as it did for those guys who were on the court, whether they were playing or coaching or anything as well. So that is my second shout out. It won't surprise you, Dan and Key, that I haven't made a list of people that I'm going to shout out. They're just gonna they're just gonna come to me as and when. <laughs> um, so Dan, back to you. Uh, you had to do some interviews, and we're going to uh, we're going to hear a few of them throughout the podcast. 
the ones with the winners are a lot easier than the ones with the losers, aren't they? Very much so, uh, Dave. <laughs> yeah, the, the 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 interview with the winners just feed off their energy and emotion and dealing. I mean, the losers. It's it's tough, especially with this game that you've built up in your mind, especially for a couple of teams for almost a month for uh, Trentino, just getting excited for this one game and to have prepare it in your mind and imagine the moment so many times and to have it not come up to expectations um, it is a really powerful feeling. And then on the other side, winning, you saw Zax's team immediately collapse on the last point. And uh, it was really a powerful moment. I think even in this Champions League finals, more so than any some others because of the canceled season last year, because uh, mm. just the journey that, that these teams have taken, uh, both Caneliano and, and Zaxa Kadush and Kojle, it was a long road to get here. And, and they, both teams, Caneliano really felt it, I think, in 2019 when they uh, lost that final. So to be on the other side of that for them, I think was amazing. Well, Caneliano are the first team that we're going to talk about because uh, we are going to discuss the women's final first. But before we get into it, let's hear from you, Dan, as well as Clayton calling the final point and then Asha Valosh and Giovanni Giudetti. This is what they had to say. Caneliano have got two chances to get this done from side A. Gabby to serve. Has to get it in first and foremost and has to try and put Caneliano under some pressure. Iconu, oh, not made it! Has this ball clipped the baseline? Have Caneliano actually won it? Or have they got to go and try again? Have Vakif Bank saved a third match point? Oh, it's taking its time, isn't it? There's anxious looks now. That's a long wait for everybody. Eyes fixed firmly on the screen. Hands held. Is there a touch? They look for a touch. And a touch has been given. It's caught hack. And that's it. It's done. It's dusted. Caneliano have won. It's all over. Their first ever CV Super Final. And Caneliano that have tried for so, so long that they are now the champions of Europe. Let's hear from Kim Hill. Kim, what a fantastic <laughs> match. A five-setter went down to the wire. Almost looked like Vakif Bank could have come back, but you guys executed better in the fifth. How did you do it under such a tense circumstance? I think we, I think we did it purely by willpower and wanting it so much. Um, Frick, Vakifunk obviously is an incredibly strong team and that's what more could you want from a final, you know, like so close and so hard fought and I'm so happy and so proud, sorry. <laughs> so what does it mean? I saw you celebrating so deeply with your team two years ago, unfortunately, disappointment this year with almost the same group. What does it mean to go through that journey together as a group? It's incredibly special, uh, so, so, so special, especially after last season not being able to finish and wanting to so badly and being able to come this year and do all the things we wanted to do, it's, there are no words, really. Do you have anything else to say to all the fans watching? Uh, I just want to say thank you to everyone, especially our fans. Um, our Emoco fans are the best in the world, and to not have them in the gym this season was, was difficult, but we love them and we love all of you, and I love my family, hey. <laughs> thank you, Kim, and go celebrate with your team. Thank you, thank you. And everybody loves you, Kim. What a great game it was. And in the end, it's 
Imoko, who have reigned supreme here in Verona. They've beaten Vakif back by three sets to two and are the champions of Europe. Um, it was an incredible game between two of the best teams uh, in, uh, in Europe and probably in the world. So I'm so freaking uh, happy. That's my team after a long, long journey, actually, like won finally uh, this trophy. And I'm so proud of all my girls and all staff or club or uh, like our um, president. So uh, finally we did it. So I'm super happy. And actually, I'm sorry, but I'm speechless a little bit because I still a little bit uh, don't believe that it happened. Yes, nothing to say. I think they deserve they deserve to win. We have, I think we did our match. Uh, we, we put them in trouble, but we were too weak in our part of the game. Our game, I didn't like it tonight. We didn't play our best. Today, there was nothing the court. Our best, the best back event. We didn't do good, the thing in our part of the court. But nothing to say to Conegliano, nothing to say to Egonu. That is. From when Egonu, is it Conegliano is difficult for us to win against Conegliano. So what was missing in your game? Portugal was missing the middle part. We normally we are a team that have to score and we are good in the middle we start out. Today and the last days, I mean, our rhythm in the first tempo was was not amazing and we couldn't score the first tempo then become difficult for us to, to side out, you know, because after there was two block and two block every time. For zero in tiebreak is nothing. You know, especially in women volleyball. So it's, it's our side out was was too difficult. Well, great to hear from all of those there. And how could I forget friend of the podcast, Kim Hill? Uh, sorry about that, Kim, but huge congratulations. What a great guest she was, Key. Oh, yeah, she was a lot of fun. But the point that she made when she just spoke about, and a, and a similar point that you just made, Dan, that it has so much more weight because it was cancelled last season. Everyone was expecting these two teams. Everyone's been waiting for these two teams to come together. And that in itself makes this moment even more powerful. That sense of anticipation. And we've, we've got to say it, finally, 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 Imoko are European champions. If People who listen to this podcast all the time are probably fed up of hearing me say, well, it's only a matter of time until they win it. It's only a matter of time until I win it. But I have expressed concern, and I can't be the only one who's thought this, that these little windows of time get smaller and smaller and smaller. And if they hadn't have done it this year, and they hadn't have done it next year, maybe that opportunity goes forever. We've seen it in the past, particularly with Italian teams. Sometimes they, they just boom and bust. They'll have a couple of great seasons, and either they'll take the opportunity or they won't. And then and then it moves on to the next thing. Obviously, Vakif Bank have been, have been a constant, but it really feels as though, even though the success has been relatively new, sort of four, five, six seasons, it feels as though the foundations at Corneliano are there, and now they've got the Champions League, they have won the World Club Championship and multiple Italian championships. It does feel like possibly the start of a dynasty. Or am I just getting too excited, basking in, in the glory? 64 games in a row. Like, this yeah. is one of the most perfect seasons we've seen in sports almost ever. 
Yeah. But didn't they take also, they took the Scudetto, they took the Italian Cup, they took... Is there literally a single thing they could have won that they didn't win? <laughs> no, because they haven't ah, lost a single match since the beginning incredible. of the year. So... Uh... <laughs> That's just dream season. And beating Vakafank, who also had, had almost never lost a match, beating Novara, an incredibly strong team. They beat them multiple times, uh, beating Bustar Sizio, beating Scandici. The level of the teams they beat is, is, is incredibly high. So the fact that they were able to do that, and I don't want to say it wasn't difficult for them, but that Champions League finals might have been the hardest match they played all year. Oh, yeah. But when you when you look at finals or you look at any game like this where you pit the best against the best, and again, regular listeners to the podcast will will remember what Giovanni Gudetti said. And and again, coaches mm. and players they open the door to us, and I and I really appreciate it. So that can be another shout out everybody who's come on this podcast and been honest with us. And he said that the two best teams in Europe are Vakif Bank and Imoko and and he and he said it and and when you say things like that you've got to back it up if they then had gone and lost in the semi-final then he might have looked a little bit silly or or if that final had been disappointing it it wouldn't have had the same impact but it wasn't it was 22-25 25-22 23-25 25-23 then 15-12 in the breaker it just doesn't get any better than that does it it couldn't it couldn't have possibly been tighter <laughs> And the last point being a centimeter block touch yeah. that was that was barely stopped a, a strong comeback from from back of bank like i think that's just emblematic or um, a metaphor for how how close these two teams were and, and mm. that was a coin flip for me between those two teams and it's also interesting how when gudetti refers to conigliano he he refers to igonu as the team it's almost as if these two teams are Igonu versus Hack, the two main huge point scorers. It was, they're both very strong teams in themselves, but it comes down to those couple of points between Igonu and Hack. Who, what can make the difference when the errors come in versus when they score? Well, we can't forget about Boscovich in this conversation uh, as mm -hmm. well, being a, another one of those iconic players. Uh, you know, this this young group that we've talked about again and again of, of opposites in the women's game that are just mm -hmm. you know leading the charge. Of this new generation and key maybe maybe this is a good question for you but you know as, as a player what how is it to play like in this kind of offense where your opposite is getting literally half your sets of the entire match and especially as, as a middle blocker that, that doesn't really leave yeah. much uh on offense to uh you to deal with honestly that was that was a point that i looked i mean I, you guys know i don't look at the numbers <laughs> all that often but in preparation for the podcast i did look at the at the stats and i, I yeah i noticed the exact same thing so that both those girls were getting in, in the 70s yeah. of attacks, which is more than, you know, the rest of the team was getting less than 40% mm -hmm. of that. So then it does come down to the block defense, which one can be slowed down just ever so slightly. It comes down to the efficiency of each. And then in turn, if the setter can then run an offense, a transition to get their middle involved. And for me, the, the sort of like the little difference that made the difference was on the Conigliano side, the middles were more effective. So when the ball was slowed down by hack and touched and they were able to run transition, the middles were efficient. Whereas on Vakif Bank, for me, what was missing was Milena Rashid. She's normally a much bigger presence in the game and her efficiency just wasn't there. So it, is, that the, is that the make or break of a team? I don't know. But as a middle, I can tell you that if you're slowing down the other team, getting those touches and running that offense and you're not able to transition, that can be a huge difference for the team.
or at least not a huge difference, but that tiny difference that it means two points here and there. And two points here or there is the difference between gold and silver in a final yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Do we want to talk quickly about the lineup choices that the coaches made? Because there is, I would say the biggest one was probably the substitution of, of Miriam Sila out for uh, Mackenzie Adams early on in the game. And also we saw mm -hmm. Raffaella Foley instead of uh, Sarah Farr for Caneliano. Yeah. Um, you, did you see Sila struggling in reception? Do you think that was a good good uh, idea to, to sub her out that early for uh, the American outside hitter, Mackenzie Adams? Have, I've played against Scylla, and I remember her being very up and down. I remember her being either she could crank the ball, actually absolutely crush it, or, you know, flying it meters out of the backcourt. So, and in reception, just a little bit shaky. So I think she's one of those players that when she's on, she's really on. And obviously over the last few years, her game has probably evolved since when I played against her in Italy. But if I think it was a good decision by the coach, if she's not performing in that role, let someone in and let them have a go, for sure. Key. Yeah. I cool. love hearing you talk about volleyball. You never talk oh about God. volleyball. You do. You always do your best to change the subject, and you like ask me what my favorite thing to have in a sausage is. Or <laughs> I've never the, used the word when, sausage on this podcast. Don't you know, even pretend. Or like, do you eye in your underwear or anything like that? And and but to hear you talk talk about the game is awesome. No, well, it's interesting because I I think I I know the game and I've played the game and. As a player, you study the other teams and you immerse yourself in wanting to win as a player. When you get on the court, what can you do? But now when I'm outside of the court, when I'm just, I, I much, I'm like, you know, I much prefer to just meet the people and see what they're about rather than studying the numbers and talking about this play and this attack and this, because, I, because I'm not actually playing. Maybe it's, I'm just sad that I'm not on the court. Maybe that's why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'm just been, living vicariously through through Asha. It's been five minutes since you were on the court. Um, <laughs> we've already mentioned her, but she's won the MVP award for the second Super Finals in a row that she's played in. Um, Iganu took 71 sets, killed 39 of them. Um, <sighs> superlatives, give me a few. Incredible. Brilliant. And I, I've never seen her play in person before, and I have to say, it it took. I mean, my respect for her was already a hundred percent, and it took it to a hundred and twenty percent because I I don't I can't even imagine a player that gifted playing volleyball. I mean, it's incredible to see just her uh, her power in the combination of power, but also an incredibly high skill level, very good eye for the block. She always knows what the opposing defense. Is doing and I think it was we did an interview with Michelle Barsh who had played with her on that Novara team in 2019 and she said Iganu is 10 times better now wow. than she was when she won the MVP in 2019 which I, I I don't necessarily disagree with maybe a bit of hyperbole but I, I think that now she's really bringing the skill element to her game to combine with the absolutely elites level athleticism it's so difficult not to deal in hyperbole though so I I went for a walk uh, earlier on today with some friends and um, was talking to them about this podcast that we were going to do later on and they're not volleyball players or fans but they do enjoy other sports and they said well you know what what are you going to be talking about and I told them about the Champions League and the finals and, and some of the names and I mentioned Iganu and, and you know started to use all of these superlatives and they're like well well who would you compare her to and I used some names and then thought right Dave check yourself here because she's still in her early 20s but I was like well you've got to 
you've got to compare her to I don't know Serena Williams or, or Tiger Woods or, mm. or Michael Jordan or Cristiano Ronaldo or these people that when they walk onto the court or the course or the pitch you just know that they're on if yeah. they're on fire they're going to be a game breaker or a game changer and obviously she's probably hopefully we get to see her do it for another 8 10 12 years and she stays injury free but even if i say she continues on this trajectory even if she stays at exactly the same level as she is now for that period of time she's going to have to be mentioned in those kinds of conversations dave no no comparison i like Furigano is uh, Roger Federer because you have Federer, you okay. have Nadal, and you have Djokovic. You have maybe the three greatest players of all time in the same generation playing the same age at the same time in Boscovich, Iganu, and Isabel Hawk. So mm -hmm. I'm really excited to see how those three players, how their careers intertwine over the next decade. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fascinating. And also now, because if you use the Champions League, as a yardstick and you're going to have to with um, with Bella Hack in particular because with the utmost respect she's probably not going to be able to have the same impact mm. on the international level that the others are um, she's going to have to get better in the next couple of years if she's going to if she's going to remain in that conversation and that sound you know that 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 might sound a little bit harsh but sport is harsh at the top level i i was going to say about about Agonu just quickly before we change the subject of her. As a player, the reason that I think that she is so impressive and difficult to stop, if you think about a defense, how you line up, you might say to the block, right, we're going to take line, we're going to take cross, we're going to take away whatever. But if you literally cannot jump high enough to put a wall up in front of her, she's hitting over and she's hitting deep. And if you look at where she hits, yeah. when the ball hits the floor and the defenders look at the ball, it's literally going exactly where the block was. So she's hitting over the block into the place where the, normally the block should be taking that zone away, but they can't because she's literally hitting over them. And it's impossible to defend the entire court. <laughs> Is that something that that coaches might want to look at as an archetype, or is it literally just genetics? It is a physical ability that allows her to do that. I think it's, I mean, it's physical ability, and you see it in Hawk as well. She can do it, mm -hmm. but not. she's not quite as effective, and she tends to make, from what I saw in, in my... In, the last, in this game anyway, she's making a few more mistakes or at least the block is getting more touches and they're able to convert that ball more often than they can on Ugonu. It sounds like we're getting a, a Bella Hack here and we're not. She is No, she is no, not at all. She's incredible. Um, but in that, it, over, those, over those five sets, she took 78 mm -hmm. balls. <laughs> the, at the, the, the conditioning level yeah. of these players is off the scale. Yeah. And I remember her, I, and again, Bella Hawk's another player that I played against. And she, when she was in, I think she was playing her first season in France when I played against her. So she had literally just left her home country. It was her first season abroad. And she was still getting these kind of percentages. You know, she was literally the go-to mm -hmm. player on her team. So I think at, as such a young player and relatively inexperienced, she's only been on the, the pro scene for, what, like four-ish years? To be the 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 person, the go-to player on your team and have to kind of carry mm -hmm. your team to a victory. That's a lot of pressure on a young player. And you could see, you know, one moment here or there, if she's not able to pull it out, it's just, it, it was heartbreaking to see her after the match. She'll have time. In tears, knowing that she's such a sweet, she's yeah. such a sweet girl and such a lovely human. And to have all that pressure riding on her shoulders. At the beginning of lockdown, 
um, she was one of the very first guests on the unscripted series, and it was when all of the players had gone back to mm. back home, and she was an absolute joy. She was. I I was about to describe mm. her as lovely company, which is a strange thing to say when you're talking to each other through through a webcam. <laughs> but yeah, we. The, I think the the show we we sent out was about. 25 minutes half an hour but we were on the call for about an hour and a half and she yeah she's she's got a good head on her shoulders she'll she'll be fine um and and also i think some some yeah. players ride that emotion don't they they get high on the high and low on the lows and and i think she's she's one of those players and, and i i do think she will respond and dave one thing i think i didn't realize until i was there in the hanging out with the team and talking to them is, is back i think is a fairly young team uh, for this mm-hmm. level of competition, I mean, you have Isabel Hawk, who's uh, 21-ish, 22. Gabby Guimaraes is only 26, not young, but young for a Champions League level. Zara Gunej is, is also a 20, 22, 23. So that's three of your, Aicha uh, Aikosh is only uh, 24. So to have uh, most of your starting lineup in there uh, on the younger than 25 is something a little bit unique to the situation. I think it might have played a factor. In yeah, and when you think about some of the experienced players that they've lost from when they won it in Romania, in Bucharest, um, a few years ago. Um, but yeah, just just sort of rebuilding. But a lot of teams, when they rebuild, they really drop down the levels, but they haven't dropped down the levels at all. Still winning trophies, but a little bit short this time. Um, okay, let's move on from... Igonu then and uh, just talk a little bit about Corneliano and Santarelli and what a fantastic job he's done and yeah go on let's um let's let's start with with Santarelli then did you manage to have a chat with him at all Dan I did I didn't manage to talk to Santarelli myself no oh do try like great guy and well we've all we've all seen him sort of parading up and down the technical area there he's got a great energy and whenever we've we've spoken to uh, or I've spoken to uh, Corneliano players they rate him so highly um he's a relatively young man in the game as well I think he's just turned 40 um he seems to be so deeply ingrained with that club and and sort of going back to what I set this segment up with the platform he's built there and the way he's got those players playing. Keith, you've been around enough teams over the years to know when there's when there's a really good group, a really good atmosphere, a really good culture, and that seems to be one of the things mm. they've got right there. Well, it's interesting because that's something we usually, when we mention Vakifbank, that's yes. what we talk about. We talk about family, we talk about culture, we talk about Guidetti. So to see it in another team... And, you know, we're just assuming because we're on the outside. I, I mean, I have, you know, friends on the team, but I'm not, we're not yeah. there. We're not in it. But it's easy to say when you're winning 64 games in a row, <laughs> oh, how great the culture is. And look, we all get along so well. <laughs> but yeah, I'm curious what that sort of secret sauce is that a coach can add. But because it really is from the top down. That's something that I, or, you know, in my own experiences, when the coach sets a culture, he sets expectations, he sets a, a certain level of respect between players, coaches, staff. It's from the top down. So, yeah, I'm curious what it is that he's doing that, that could be emulated across the sport. Prosecco. <laughs> ah, there we go. That's the one. Well, I think in two, in two other reasons, they must have had an absolutely in, in, impossibly perfect team culture this year. Is they were the only team not to have any cases this year. So they were very strict, very oh. disciplined the whole year. And I think that that shows in, in how they performed the whole year. And also the, the way he's asking the players to play. AKA they're 
basically play defense, block, hustle your heart out, and just and but you don't get any sets on offense. You're just you're playing around Aganu, right? So mm-hmm. to have all the other players kind of sacrifice their individual numbers for the greater team, I think is a, a big testament to his coaching ability. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know what's but at the end of the day, when you when you look back on your career what's what's more important your hit percentage or your trophy cabinet or your experience or your teammates you know it's it's a balancing act and it feels do you know what that that probably plays a huge part in the kind of players that he signs or the club signs I don't know who who makes the the ultimate decisions but yeah if you're if you're not willing to to be a part of the ship a part of the crew then then maybe Corneliano is not the team for you um, and friend of the podcast, Kim Hill, rides off into the sunset with two Champions League golds with two different clubs and an Olympics to look forward to. It's not a bad way to... Again, I'm not sure it's confirmed as of yet, but if it is confirmed, it's not a bad way to bow out of European volleyball, is it? Well, I love that we got her for the post-game interview. And I, I one of the reasons why we wanted her is because I was so much enjoyed that podcast that you guys did with her. I think it was just such an amazing story and uh, to have that as the bookend on her club career potentially is a really special thing. And you know what? Everyone that I spoke to when I was doing some research for that podcast and by research, I'm using bunny ears because I literally just send a message to my friend. Hey, I've got a podcast with Kim tomorrow. Do you have any funny stories for me? But everyone came back to me and said she is the sweetest, most humble, most lovely human being that they've ever played with. And that's you know, because you certain people, you get to a point in your career, and you can kind of get away with being a little bit, you know, a bit of a diva, a bit of a you're right. I'm I'm a big shot, but she started out as a you know a friend of everyone, and has continued to this this point, not having lost any friendships along the way. And then to add those kind of trophies and medals on top of that, I think that's just you couldn't ask for anything more than to leave the sport with your dignity and trophy cabinet intact. Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, right, before we move on then, any final thoughts on our on our champions, on our runners-up, on, on the tournament as a whole? Is This is two years now, though, without, without a Turkish winner. That's, uh, that's, I mean, a big deal in Turkey. Just, do, you, do you think that's indicative of changing of the times? Because I feel like Turkey has been dominant. Italy, you know, in, in, if you think about history of volleyball, Italy for a while was the country. Then it kind of went over to Turkey. Do we think that Italy is now, you know, Peeking its little head into the championship role. I, God, who can, who can tell? I, I mean, it's great. I always think with any with any major tournament, and we'll go on to this when we talk about the men's. It is always great to have a new winner, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. even though even though they've been finalists on a number of occasions, and they are world club champions and Italian champions and 60 odd games in a row so it's no surprise that they're the champions but there mm-hmm. is a new name on that trophy and I think that is only good for the sport because now they've got a target on them they've got a target on them in their domestic league they've got a target on them uh, in in the Champions League and it's not just going to be Vakif Bank who are going to be after them next year they are the team to beat now so yes the Italian game is in rude health, but if there's not a Turkish team against them in the final again next year, I'll be very surprised. Congratulations again to Corneliano, commiserations to Vakif Bank, but I have no doubt in my mind whatsoever that they'll be back. Hey guys, Matt here. After recording that episode, it became obvious to us that this should actually be a two-parter. 
So that's everything about the women's super final. But tune in later this week to hear what the guys have to say about the men's super final, including an exclusive chat that Dan had with winning captain Benjamin Tonuti. <laughs>